The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment. This is Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hardell. Toronto's News, Today's Talk, 640 Toronto. My friends, here we are. Back. I do wish you a lovely weekend, but uh, looking forward, indeed, to Jack and I do. We look forward to the fall, and uh, our chief strategist was warning us that there could perhaps be a fall fall in the market. Uh, we'll have to see, of course, how this all plays out. But I tell you, a sector that uh, has legs to it, uh, I'm seeing more of Canaccord moved its offices into uh, some new stakes down on Bay and Temperance Street and uh, parking the new underground uh, in Scotia Plaza, uh, free EV parking stations, uh, all full, and a variety of vehicles. Impressive. Lots of Jeeps, uh, a couple of really cool Audi e-trons. Oh, how cool they are. And, of course, some Teslas. Uh, so I drove into work in my combustible Audi today, and I continuously said, well, at some point, there will be more EVs on the road. Uh, I'm delighted to bring back uh, George uh, George, how was your last name again? I, I, I don't want to uh, mispronounce it right now. Work with me on this here. No, uh, George Generikis. Good Greek. Generikis. We have a lot there of Greeks up there in Toronto as well. So. George Generikis. There we go. Uh, he's a, a key analyst with Canaccord, uh, working working in a division called the Sustainability uh, Landscape. Uh, again, Canaccord well ahead of its time, I must say, when Jack and I joined Canaccord somewhat 11 years ago, they had a sustainability desk. It was about basically companies that were sustainable, uh, all tying into the ESG theme, which is uh, uh, environmental, social, and governance. And uh, today, as I read research, every single research report I read, I don't care which desk it's from, there is always a dedicated page to the company's ESG strategy. ESG matters. And at the forefront, of course, is the electrification of transport uh, George, uh, your company, Fluence, uh, Fluence um, it's a battery storage company, Fluence Energy. The stock wants to go higher. I can, I can sense it. I can feel it. Fundamentally speaking, reading your most recent research report, there's some operational issues. Uh, again, they are producing widgets. Uh, and when you produce widgets, there's the costs that need to be managed. And, of course, there has to be a profitability uh, uh, optionality within the business itself. So uh, let's talk about this company, Fluent. Uh, well, what makes it so special? Uh, will it be a leader in the space? Uh, will the stock flirt with its previous highs, which is just under $40? Today, the stock is just under $18. Uh, please talk to us because it's a very exciting space, power storage, battery storage. Sure. So what Fluent does is basically they help solve the grid's intermittency issue when you put solar and wind on it. Basically, if the sun isn't shining and when the wind isn't blowing, it's hard to generate electricity via those means. And so the way to solve that problem is to create a stopgap. In other words, you put batteries on the grid and you're able to store energy when you overproduce at times when the sun is shining and the wind is is blowing. And so at at night, you know, uh, in areas where solar is deployed, batteries can help uh, power homes and businesses. And so what Fluence does, and they're the number one in market share, 
is that they put batteries on the electric grid. And they don't necessarily make the batteries. They buy a lot of those from, from uh, Chinese and, and Korean vendors currently. But what they do is that they create you know, the, the, the nice pretty boxes you put around it. They're, they go and permit out and kit out the, the, the areas where you put the batteries. And they also create a software layer on top of that. So it's almost like a server vendor. If you think about, I'm a 20-year tech analyst before I became a sustainability analyst. And if you think about what servers are, they use Microsoft software and they use Intel chips and they, and they create uh, nice platforms to store, uh, to, 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 uh, store data and to create, put compute uh, into uh, company platforms. It's very similar to what Fluence does. They make sort of battery servers, so to speak. And so uh, they're the number one market share there. They were the first company to put a battery on a grid. They were joint venture between AES, uh, which is a utility, and Siemens, which is obviously a German industrial company. Uh, they still own a large share of, of close to 80% uh, combined of the company. And what's happened since they IPO'd late last year is that they've run into a bunch of operational issues, which you referred to earlier. I mean, think about it. Um, we've had COVID, obviously, and a lot of uh, China has been particularly impacted by COVID and a lot of the manufacturing. So they had a, many issues uh, getting batteries from China. Uh, we've also had the Omicron surge late last year, which impacted their ability to put batteries on the ground. Uh, and so their margins have been hit, their revenues have been hit. Uh, it's almost been like the perfect storm of issues after they IPO'd. But the good thing is that, uh, at least based on the un, uh, known unknowns that we have, that, that we think a lot of those issues are behind them. They recently rejiggered the management team with a new CEO and CFO, um, and they have uh, a, you know, the, the path to profitability on an EBITDA basis in 2024. So uh, we like the story. Uh, we think it has uh, good upside and uh, we think that their market share in this battery server, so to speak, market is number one, and they'll continue to maintain top top share there. Well, let's speak then about the potential run rate for this company. Um, how big could this company become? Uh, and in terms of profitability, well, what is the profit potential in the midterm for Fluence Energy, in your opinion? <clears throat> well, look um, – to focus on our run rate, you know, we think that the battery storage market uh, is a, an incredibly fast-growing market, you know, 30 40% a year, maybe more than that. And this Inflation Reduction Act in the United States really could supercharge the market in a big way because the tax incentives have been re-geared to encourage the deployment of battery storage. Uh, so it could a lot of growth for us a, a long time. And in terms of profitability, Look, right now, uh, actually, last quarter was the first time in, in a few quarters where they turned uh, non-GAAP gross margin profitable, meaning that, you know, the quarters before that, they actually were uh, gross margin negative. And a lot of those issues had to do with uh, timing, with, had to do with cost overruns related to COVID. They had to do with promises they made to their customers about getting batteries in the ground at, at a certain time and at a certain cost. And uh, given what happened, like I said, with, with the operational issues related to COVID, with the prices of batteries going up based on the cost of lithium, and they just, you know, they were in a bad way uh, with the contracts that they had put together. But the, like I said, the good news going forward is that they should become profitable. We think EBITDA profitable in, in, in 2024. 
uh, gross margins should continue to improve. And they've actually moved to something called raw material index pricing, which means that uh, most of their contracts have been reconfigured such that if there's a move upward in the cost of batteries and the cost of raw materials that go into batteries, they pass that on to their customers. Uh, what's the estimated revenue for 2023 and 2024 based on your work? Uh, we have for 20, for fiscal 23 and their fiscal year ends in September, uh, we're at about 1.4 billion currently in revenue, and for fiscal 24, we're at about 2.2 billion. <clears throat> yeah, and, and so two, then the company's valued at two billion dollars. So you're talking about one times sales for this uh, enterprise. Uh, well, interesting name. Another name, and uh, Jack, I want you to come in here. The, the Jack put on my radar, and you follow it, is uh, Rivian uh, Automotive. It's, an, it's another EV company, uh, electric vehicle company, my friends. And by the way, if you're just joining Hi-Fi Radio, show about money each and every Saturday, Jack and I bring it to your living room, to your car, wherever you may be. We bring it to you. It's all about money. And uh, we have one of our sustainability analysts on. We're talking about electric vehicles, battery storage. We're talking about the next 10 years of all the change coming at us right in front of your very eyes. And George is an expert in this space. But uh, Rivian Automotive, George, please, another name you covered. Tell us about this electric vehicle company. Uh, Look, you know, uh, our view on the EV space is somewhat informed by our experience covering the smartphone industry, you know, uh, when it first emerged, you know, over 10 years ago. And in our opinion, it's usually in massive industry transitions like we're seeing in EVs from ICE vehicles, it's usually, not always, but usually it's a safe bet uh, to make that upstarts will beat incumbents. And even though incumbent, incumbency uh, market's changing, uh, they, they, there's a lot of cultural inertia. There are, you know, sacred cows, so to speak, that they can't necessarily kill. And so that cr- when companies can start from a clean sheet of paper, they have a higher likelihood of success. Uh, we see that with Rivian. Look, they're, they're a fast follower. They weren't, uh, they're not Tesla. They weren't first to market, but they have an incredibly compelling product. Uh, they've started with a clean sheet of paper, and very importantly, they're vertically integrated, <clears throat> which means that internally they manufacture their vehicles, they develop uh, uh, some semiconductors, they also develop a lot of the software. And that vertical integration allows them to control the customer experience. It allows their, their car to essentially be a smartphone on wheels. It's been getting rave reviews. So far they have the R1T, which is a pickup. They have the R1S, which is an SUV. And they're also at the same time building vehicles and commercial vehicles for Amazon. And so they're, they're, trying, to, they're trying to do a lot. Uh, there have been operational issues here as well, but we think many of those are behind them. And we're very excited about the future of the company. You know what, again, kills me about this company here? Uh, it is not profitable. It is new to market. And it already has the valuation half that of General Motors. Rivian Automotive is just under $30 million in value. General Motors is valued at $60 billion. That is a, a bit of a stretch. Look, we're going to take a quick break. Uh, we're going to talk more about electric vehicles. We're going to touch on Tesla, stick with uh, Rivian, uh, and say hello to my partner, uh, Jack Hartle, who is standing by as I speak. Quick commercial break, Hi-Fi Radio, 640 Toronto. We'll be right back. Let's take a break. Wolf and Jack will continue their in-depth discussion about money. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio on 640 Toronto. 
You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment. It is a story for you. Kim Mitchell is just a couple blocks away from my home. And I <laughs> was driving home yesterday and uh, on the sidewalk with Kim walking his golden doodle. I have a golden doodle. So I'm in my car and I slowed down and rolled the window down. I said, hey, Kim, how are you? He looked over at me. Who the heck is this guy? And I said, hey, uh, I just live up the street. Uh, perhaps you can come over and uh, play a few tunes for us. I have a little party, a little patio lantern. He looked at me and said, yeah, whatever. Hey, have a good day. <laughs> he didn't want to talk to me one iota. All right, see you, Kim. And that night, he was on the Budweiser stage. So I guess, you know, I understand. Um, anyways, good old Kim. He's still doing his thing, which is nice to see indeed. Uh, show is hyper rated. Show about money each and every Saturday. Jack and I bring it to you. Uh, it seems to be remote. We're looking forward to get back into the studios, but we continue to uh, keep the show very, very current. We're talking about electric vehicles uh, Company that uh, Jack brought to my attention, Rivian Automotive, and uh, George, our sustainability analyst, covers the stock. Jack, what got this stock on your radar? And then, uh, please, I'll, I'll throw it over to you to ask George a couple of questions around the space. Thanks, Wolf. And uh, honestly, what really brought the Rivian to my attention was a client of ours brought it to me, I'm going to say, in 2021, early 2021, and said it was going to be a really hot IPO. Uh, they wanted to get a piece of the action. Uh, couldn't get it because it was a big American IPO, which Canadians really have a difficult time getting. Uh, the stock popped to, I'm going to say, oh. in around 180, somewhere in there in the neighborhood. So it was very hot. Um, it looked expensive even relative to Tesla. I mean, the stock's trading around you know $31 now. And uh, we've talked about it multiple times. Well, you know, these hot IPOs, um, when markets settle down, uh, you typically get a, a better opportunity to maybe take a second look at them. So, um, that's no, what hey, hold, hold, that thought, hold that thought, Jack. Jack, sorry, hold that thought. I want to say you're making a good point here. Because, uh, yes, I, I read about this 30 years ago that when companies go public, I know you want to chomp it a bit more often than not. Uh, hello, Tim Hortons. Hello, Google. More often than not, you can buy them in the open market, say six months to 12 months later, below IPO price. Uh, I'm going to keep, keep, throw it back to you in a sec, Jack. I just want to ask George George, how much did Rivian? Go public at. So I don't mean begin trading at, but those who got the first paper in Rivian on the last round, as we like to call it, what price did they pay? Because the stock today is thirty bucks. Um, the, the price uh, at the IPO was, was obviously, I think it was around sixty bucks, if I'm not mistaken. Sorry, it was did you say sixty. Yeah. Sixty. Yeah, sixty to hundred. I, I can find that data. Wow. No, that, that's all right. So basically, you can get the stock friends at half price right here, right now. All right, Jack. Rivian Automotive Q and A with George, please. Thanks, Wolf. It is a category leader in EV trucks. So maybe, uh, George, if you could speak to that, you know, where is their competitive advantage and, and why do you like uh, the name longer term? Sure. So, you know, as I was saying before the break, you know, we uh, are informed to, by our experience covering smartphones. And so the, the one big deal uh, and the one differentiating factor for Rivian is, first of all, vertical integration. You know, while the cars and, or the trucks are just coming out today, they've been at this since, uh, I believe, 2009. And what they've done is they've built a lot of the software, a lot of the semiconductor expertise, a lot of the manufacturing expertise in-house. 
And so, you know, that, that's a big differentiating factor for us in, in, in looking at companies that will be successful as the market transitions to EVs. Second, it's an incredibly compelling product. I mean, I challenge you to go look at the reviews online. People, as they're receiving uh, their first R1Ts and R1Ss, are incredibly enthused about them. Uh, and I, like I said earlier, these are smartphones on wheels. They're highly configurable. They're high-performance vehicles. They're really, really great. Uh, I personally have one on order. I've been waiting patiently to get it. Uh, and so it's a really compelling product and developed a lot in-house. And finally, you know, yes, they've gone through significant um, issues operationally since they IPO'd like Fluence. I mean, they've tripped up quite a bit based on what's happened with the supply chain, based on their inability to get uh, manufacturing just right in time. But we really like the management team. You know, uh, CEO RJ Scringe, uh, is, is incredibly articulate and knows the space. I mean, at a time right now, if you look at what's happening with traditional auto OEMs, they seem to be every day announcing deals to get materials. Right? I mean, just look what happened recently with the Germans and with the government of Canada. They're, they're scrambling right now, given the transitions that they're trying to undertake to get the lithium, to get the, the rare earths, to get all the materials they need to build these, these cars. Well, you know, we, we suspect Tesla and, to, and to, a, to a certain extent Rivian have already anticipated these issues because they've been thinking about them for a really long time. And so Rivian has great management, forward-looking, vertically integrated, and a really great product that we think will be successful over time. What's the price point of the product and, that, and how many different choices do you have currently on the product? Uh, so right now, if you think about the way they've constructed their initial rollout, there are three basic products, okay? There's the R1T, which is a pickup truck. There's the R1S, which is an SUV. And they also have the EDVs. The EDVs are a set of uh, commercial vehicles that they're deploying through Amazon. And so right, they're concurrently launching a commercial product and two consumer products. And so right now with the EDV, I'm sorry, with the R1S and the R1T, there are basically two basic iterations uh, you can get different battery packs, different colors, different interior options, but they're basically overall there are two options for the consumer, and basically one for for Amazon, even though there are different size variations of that. And sorry, the the, the consumer retail price uh, on the uh, product of how much? Uh, right now we're starting in the sixty seventy thousand dollar range, and you can get obviously add-ons and stuff. We'll take you to over a hundred thousand dollars if um, if you add enough bells and whistles to the vehicle. And the range on the uh, on the vehicles, three to four hundred miles uh, per battery pack. It depends, obviously, on the, the kind of battery pack that you configure that your vehicle with. Mm-hmm. So sorry, Jack, over to you again. Just in this type of market, George, uh, you know, balance sheets even more important. You know, they recently did an IPO. I, I'm going to say within the last eighteen months, anyways. Uh, how is that looking uh, relative to, I guess, cash burn? And you mentioned that you're having difficulty getting the vehicle, so they're obviously going to have to increase capacity over time. So how does the cash burn look relative to the balance sheet, and are they well-funded, or are they going to have to go back to uh, the markets to raise capital? It's a really, really, really great question and super important. So to your first, to your last one, I should say, uh, in terms of just their production, yes. I mean, they've guided the market this year to making 25,000 vehicles. They won't be able to survive if they only make 25,000 cars a year. So our bet is that over time they'll be able to increase capacity materially, and they have the capacity to do that. They're just, they need more parts. They need more people. They just need to get the manufacturing process just right in order to get to their ultimate goal. You know, we think by the end of the decade, they'll, make, they'll be making well over a million vehicles. And the second question was, well, do they have the money to do that? Look, you know, they're burning cash. 
They're burning a lot of it, and they have ambition to build, like you said, even more capacity. What we, what we think happens to the company is that by 2024, we see them uh, in our model being EBITDA positive, uh, which will help them significantly stem the cash burn. Uh, right now, they're obviously not in that situation. And so uh, it's our uh, assumption that they'll get there. Uh, it's, it's our bet that over the next couple of years, they could turn uh, free cash flow break, break even by 2025. And by that, I'm just looking at our adjusted EBITDA assumptions minus the CapEx assumptions, which we have in the low $2 billion. So by 2025, we see them generating low $2 billion of EBITDA and, and, and uh, spending low $2 billion in CapEx. So that, and that's the company's stated goal. They've said that they hope to not raise money again by the time they get to the first phase of their Georgia plant. And they're right now they're building a second facility. They right, Currently they have one in Normal in Illinois, and they're also looking to build a second facility in, um, in Georgia. Right. So the other thing I want to touch on, I think is really important, the legislation that came out of the U.S., the Inflation uh, Reduction Act. Just generally speaking from a, a, a top-down look, uh, how does that affect your space? It's obviously one of the most significant pieces of legislation for sustainability and green energy. Uh, what are the key takeaways that people should be aware of from that um, when they're investing in your space? I know there's a lot. There's certainly a lot. And as you said, rightly so, it's the most significant piece of legislation in climate in U.S. Uh, climate history. It's, it's really, really important. And what it does is, is twofold and, and just very broadly. First, it's fairly technology agnostic, meaning that you know, in the past, we've favored some solar, favored some wind, but this really is uh, broad-based, and there's stuff in it for everyone, whether it's solar, whether it's wind, whether it's batteries, whether it's storage, whether it's hydrogen, really, really runs the gamut, and, and most companies uh, that are involved in the space should benefit. And second, it adds um, a lot of long-term visibility. In other words, when companies had to deal with tax and production incentives, they had maybe a year or two years or three years of visibility as to how long these tax incentives would be in place. And then obviously they'd go lobby in Washington and ask for additional years. Well, this bill gives us you know, on average about 10 years of visibility from a tax uh, perspective. So it really gives companies a broad incentive to start deploying these technologies, whether it's utilities or developers, et cetera. And lastly, I will add a, uh, another thing here. It really, really encourages domestic production of both uh, renewable technologies and batteries and electric vehicles. So we should see significant, um, and we've already seen the press releases, significant moves to bringing a lot of production of technologies related to sustainability into the United States and into North America broadly. No, I, I, George, I was watching a, a new series up on Netflix called History 101. I said, Jack, you want to tune into this as well? There's only about 14 episodes, so there's, and there are only 22. Mm-hmm. Let's call them vignettes. So a little bite size of some interesting uh, information on some really interesting stuff. And, and uh, I watched a piece on uh, GPS, of course, part of electrification and EVs and being uh, more friendly to the environment is, is using GPS effectively. Uh, and the other one was on uh, nuclear power. Um, and what really caught my attention, you mentioned with Fluence Energy, because I, of course, have, have a lot of respect for the engineering capabilities of my, my forefathers, uh, those, those engineers out of Germany. Um, but they did, at the end of the nuclear uh, vignette, they were interviewing a German nuclear um, fusion engineer who was standing beside a prototype fusion reactor. And if you just look at this 
monstrosity of a object that was created to create power in this fusion manner. They're not certain if they're able to do it yet, although, Jack, you, you, you state it can be done because of how to do it, and they, they are certainly working on it on a go-forward basis. Um, but this week or last week, Elon Musk helped Jack and I out with our chemical trade. Uh, and what was, what was Musk's statement, gentlemen? We both, I'm sure, know what Musk said to the, to the market about uh, nuclearization. He just made a comment on how important it is as part of our uh, energy security and, and transition to green, I think, Wolf. And like you said, we took that opportunity from, from Elon and uh, actually sold our chemical, which was a nice trade for us. Cool, correct. So I, I asked you, George, did you see a piece on uh, History 101 about nuclear uh, being basically the only current viable solutions to increase the ability of the grid? Can you speak to that for maybe 60 seconds? Absolutely. So it's actually uh, pretty pertinent. We put out a note a couple of days ago talking about a potential nuclear renaissance. And we're not, by no means experts on nuclear yet, but if you just pay attention to data points over the last couple of weeks when we were on vacation, uh, from Japan to uh, Germany to the U.S. to the U.K., stories suggested uh, that the impetus to rid much of the world of nuclear power post-Fukushima was radically shifting in the other direction. And with the gas shortage uh, spurred on by the Ukraine war and the world in need of uh, clean, renewable power, nuclear, like we said, may be experiencing a new moment. Uh, and there's actually a small company, we don't cover it, it just we don't know much about it, but it's just informational, ticker symbol SMR. It's called New Scale, and they make these small modular reactors that may be experiencing a shift in demand based on our desire to uh, create baseload power with nuclear instead of relying on coal and gas and having to deal with the intermittency of wind and solar. Uh, so quickly, what was the name of that uh, uh, portable nuclear uh, reactor producer? New, new scale, ticker symbol SMR. The shift that the planet is undertaking to go zero carbon by 2050, to build a new reactor, and there's currently 50 being built globally today, but it can take upwards of 20 years from start to finish. Uh, so you don't make this shift Quickly, and the, the key, of course, is to find out solutions to make it and, uh, effectively, yet as efficiently and quickly as possible. Uh, George, we have to let you go. I can't thank you enough for spending some time with us on this very, very key sector. Uh, Rivian Automotive, I'm going to be spending more time with this half IPO price. Your target price is back to IPO price at $61, so certainly worth investigating further. Uh, well, next time we bring you back on, we'll talk about Tesla some more. Uh, Fluence Energy, another very interesting idea. I can't thank you enough for that work. I'll have to speak to you about that off air. We're going to take a quick break and get in touch with uh, Mike Walkley, another one of our key analysts at Canaccord, uh, working in the semiconductor space, technology, of course, uh, software, hardware. Uh, Mike Walkley, brilliant at the space. We're going to learn a lot. Quick break, get right back to Hi-Fi Radio 640 in Toronto. Don't go anywhere. There's more Hi-Fi Radio in a moment on 640 Toronto. You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment. Saturday night, and uh, well, well, Jack and I'll do the work for you. Sit back and uh, relax, and 
hopefully learn something. We'll try to entertain you and play some music along the way. Mike Walkley, one of our senior analysts, uh, software, hardware, and just a brilliant, brilliant man. And what, what city are you in now, Mike? You keep moving on me. You, last I spoke to you, you were, I think, in Minneapolis. Yeah, no, I uh, I moved, so I'm I'm, I'm down uh, in a place called Daniel Island, South Carolina, is where I where I work out of now. You're South Carolina, very. How, how are things down there? Oh, they're great. You know, happy. That's where I grew up, so happy to be closer to family. And uh, other than a little hotter weather in the summer, you know, better year-round weather than Minnesota for sure. Beautiful. Good for you. Good for you. Um, the Barry Jackson car auction does that take place down in South Carolina? I'm sorry, what was that? The, the Barrett-Jackson car auction. Is that Does that take place in South Carolina or is that Arizona? Jack, you might know. Yeah. I went to in Arizona. I'm not sure if it's in South Carolina there, Well, Oh, maybe it was, uh, horse racing in South Carolina. Is that, is that, did a lot of horse racing? Horse racing, yeah. Uh, shrimp, good restaurants, uh, beach weather. Yeah, it's a pretty good place to live. Shrimp. Good shrimp there. Yeah. Really? Okay. Yeah, huge, huge industry down here. Yeah, I live in the, you know, where I live is right, out, right outside of Charleston, South Carolina. Very interesting. Have you been before, Jack? I have not, Wolf. Well, sounds like a great place. I've never, but... never gone to South Carolina. Well, maybe one day, Mike, maybe one day. Uh, indeed. Well, let's talk business. Uh, you are a uh, software analyst in between eating uh, big bowls of shrimp, I guess. Um, <laughs> uh, Jack and I own uh, for growth clients, our growth portfolio, CrowdStrike and Zscaler, uh, Endpoint uh, Internet Protection. Uh, You're much more eloquent on the topic than I am. Uh, But another company that we we did own, punted because it wasn't working, uh, and ooh, really isn't working now, called Okta, Identity Identification. Obviously very critical in this day and age of, uh, you know, cybersecurity hack attacks constantly taking place. why the stumble this morning with Okta? Talk a little bit about that company, and then let's go over into your other two names that we do own, which are leaders in the space, CrowdStrike and Zscaler, although very, very, very expensive uh, companies. That's, that's, of course, I think the biggest part of the risk. Yeah, the reason we advise on, on both those names, Zscaler and CrowdStrike, are if, if you look at the software security space, it is consolidating, and it's more important than ever given global threats, malware up, bad actors up. Um, and, and what we're seeing is a, a major trend where companies are going to best of breed cloud-based solution platforms. And so CrowdStrike just put up one of the more amazing quarters you know, we've seen barring the, the stock reaction. They're the fastest ever company in software to hit $2 billion in ARR. They now sell over 22 modules. They're upselling more into their customer base and they just have this lightweight agent that they can use and reuse. So this is a company that's doing well with the government, doing well with small enterprise, doing well with large enterprise. It's a rule of 90 company, you know, between growth and free cash flow. So they're profitable, growing very fast, and still very early in their TAM in terms of uh, penetrating it. So we think as you get better stock markets or kind of our calls them with sales to keep building positions on dips like today, that CrowdStrike's one you want to own. And they partner with a company called Zscaler, who's doing the same thing on the network side. So CrowdPoints starts with the endpoint. So think of a light software agent that goes on everything from servers to PCs to phones. So they're protecting the endpoint. They're using all that data and their, and their threat vector and moat to then protect you in lots of other different ways. Zscaler is the opposite. They go with the zero trust framework. 
And uh, 80% of breaches are when someone steals your identity. So someone figures out your username and password, gets into the network, and people, you know, then your network just thinks that you're who you're supposed to be. And that bad actor, by stealing into there, can do all, steal all types of information. That's what Zscaler protects is their zero trust, meaning it's not like the old VPN where if you get the identity taken, it's good. Um, they protect the entire network. So, and they're selling more and more modules. So you have one company protecting the network, another one protecting all the endpoints, and you know we think those are two of the more important vectors. To your third area, identity is critically important, but identity is much more competitive. And what's been hitting Okta is private equity has bought two um, identity companies putting together, um, putting price pressure on the market, and Microsoft's quite competitive in that market. So identity critically important as kind of the third leg of the stool for a zero trust framework. Okta is the cloud leader, but they're just their growth is slowing now more to price pressure and competitive threats, whereas Zscaler and CrowdStrike have differentiated technology um, to, to uh, protect against uh, those type of price threats. My couple of questions for you. Number one, we had a network go down here in Canada, uh, the Rogers Network. Anyone on the Rogers Network, their, their life, became, it froze. It came to a complete standstill. In the food courts, the, the menu boards were on the Rogers Network, so they couldn't even display their items. People were standing in front, in front of their houses looking for who, who's got a bell network around me that I can piggyback on. People were hanging out in restaurants just to get access to their information. It was, it was a sight to see. Um, and, and again, I don't know where the cause of that breach or, or breakdown was. But on, on the second point to this, and I, I mentioned to Jack, and I said earlier in the show, uh, on Netflix, the new series called History 101, 22-minute vignettes on various topics from nuclear to the, the, upper, the, the, the upbuild of the Chinese economy uh, to the GPS system. And so it, I found that one fascinating because I've been looking at the Garmin stock and Jackson, you don't need Garmin anymore because you know uh, your, your smartphones, which makes a lot of sense. Um, but they're speaking about the, uh, the advent of the GPS system. Uh, coming out of military, there were two versions. There was a consumer light version, which wasn't very good. There was a military version, which was bulletproof. Uh, and at some point, they opened up the military version to the civilians. The civilians liked it. And when they tried to turn it back off, this was a U.S. president doing this. When they turned it back off, there's an uproar. And all of a sudden, we all migrated to the system we know today, which has been up and running for 20-some-odd years. But at the end of the series, they said, if you want to basically attack the U.S. or attack the world, take down the GPS network. So I ask you, are your two companies, CrowdStrike and Zscalers, also protecting the GPS that we now so rely upon and will rely upon more and more as each day passes, Mike? I uh, don't know for sure, but on the positive side, both these companies have huge federal contracts protecting the federal government in lots of areas. So um, tough to know for sure if they're protecting the GPS per se, but certainly they're part of the U.S. government, and U.S. government going to zero trust um, is really helping drive both these guys' federal businesses. Talk to us, yeah, talk to us about that new phrase, if you don't, Mike, uh, zero trust. By the way, just tuning into Hi-Fi Radio, it's about money each and every Saturday on 640 in Toronto. I've got Mike Walkley on the line. Uh, he is a tech analyst with Canaccord. We're talking about uh, software protection, protecting the network, protecting your own personal identity, corporate identities, and the like. Very, very key area to be discussing at this time in history, I shall say. Um, so uh, on a go-forward basis, Mike, um, again, your companies are expensive, CrowdStrike. And again, but you spoke about the amount of growth that they have uh, of some 60 to 80%. Um, but later in now, this zero trust concept, what does that mean? And how does that make a more compelling argument for the space of security protection in cyber? 
Yeah, great, great question. So the old way of doing security is a VPN, which most of us do today. You know, you used to work in a big office building, right? So with the VPN, they assume you're in that building, you have a bunch of firewalls, so everything in the building is protected. Now with everybody working remote, um, it's easy to steal mm. someone's identity. So, so they go to zero trust, meaning you, you don't trust that identity. You have to continue to authenticate it. They look at usage patterns. Is this from the same house where Mike usually works from? Is it the same device you usually on? Is he going to the same type things? And they have all this new area to say, okay, we're gonna, we're only gonna trust this um, as far as this person's allowed to see certain things. So it's not like the old days where you you kind of cross the moat into the castle and you can go see everything. <laughs> now it's, you don't trust anybody. Uh, once they get on the network, you continue to validate that it's really who they are and they're getting what they're supposed to get. Mike Walkley, tech analyst with Canaccord, spending some time with us this evening. Look, we're going to take a quick break, pay some bills around here and get right back to Hi-Fi Radio. Jack Hartle, portfolio manager, partner of the Wolf on Bay Street. I'm Wolfgang Klein. Any questions for Jack, right? Please uh, check us out, WolfgangKlein.com. It's, it really is your one-stop portal for financial guidance. Uh, we are always here for you. Never hesitate to reach out to us. Quick break, get right back to the show. Stay tuned. Want to make more money? Stay tuned for more Hi-Fi Radio on 640 Toronto. You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment. It's all about at least this hour is show about money. I am Wolfgang Klein, Jack Hartle, partner. We are both portfolio managers. When people hire us, they end up with two portfolio managers. Two brains are, I think, the value of well, three. And when you layer in the partners we have, like Mike Walkley, a managing director, senior equity analyst with Canaccord. Mike specializes, by the way, in the Internet of Things, security and communications software. It's a big space, but Mike is capable of it, a top-ranked analyst by many different uh, outlets, including the Wall Street Journal. Uh, brilliant, brilliant, brilliant uh, history. Uh, and he is still so young, indeed. Uh, Mike, thanks for spending some time with us this evening. Uh, I, I don't like to have a conversation with you and not talk to you about um, Apple. Uh, and I'm going to open up with, you know, Apple is a thing stock, an acronym that was created, I think, by Jim Cramer, as a matter of fact, some uh, 20 years ago. So, again, for those who don't know what FANG stands for, Facebook, Apple, RIM, they threw Netflix in there, uh, Google, and then began, you know, building this FANG index. Um, FANG ran, those stocks have been dominant for two decades. The question is, do they got, you know, another two decades in them or not? You're seeing a lot of faltering by many of the names because uh, they were the darling. So, you know, Amazon's had a huge pullback. Google looks like it's tired. Um, Apple uh, has, has had a nice pullback from its uh, uh, highs. The uh, company continues to do wonderful, wonderful things. So let's speak to us, uh, Mike, about that, one of your darling stocks. You've, you've, you've called this thing right for, since I've known you. Talk to us about the next five to ten years about Apple. And again, it's difficult to do, I understand that, but I think if anyone's capable of a qualified call, it's you. Yeah. Well, thanks. Yeah, I think Apple's going to be interesting to see how they um, continue to grow. They've done a great job on their 
services offering, you could all could look at that business on its own and how it's growing. That'd be quite valuable, and that is you know, part of the stock and the story. You know, in the in the next one to two years, you know, they're probably going to continue to outperform uh, out of the Fang Group just because you know 5G, right? They're still in an early stage of upgrading their huge installed base for their you know very expensive iPhones. Uh, next week will be an important week uh, for Apple. They're going to announce the iPhone 14. We'll see if that's enough to get people excited about you know what they have. But it just reminds people Apple has new products out. And what we saw when COVID first hit and what we've seen with economic downturns, Apple does outperform their space, right? It's a premium brand. Wealthier people tend to buy them because you have to spend you know upwards of $1,000 for a new iPhone. So they've, they've been more resilient in downturns, and we'll see if that continues. But still, large part of the base can upgrade into um, – 5G iPhones, and I think that's going to help them at least through this holiday season. On a five to ten year horizon, you know, it's going to be AI, metaverse. Can they make that switch? Will they actually make the car? Will it be successful? Those are some next bets on the company. Um, given their R and D and their people out there, it's hard to bet against them. But uh, you know, to continue to grow, they're going to have to continue to go into new areas, and, and you know, yet to be seen if they can do that, but we feel pretty good about it on a relative performance, you know, for the next, you know, call it one to two years. Um, again, the, the company is such a behemoth. We got to continue to remind ourselves exactly what this company puts out each and every year. And I'll start with, you know, the, the gross revenue of the company is $365 billion. That's a billion dollars a day of iPhones and services sold. It's unbelievable. Uh, and the company is, is slated to generate, and do I have this right, Mike? 123 is a billion dollars of cash flow. 123 billion dollars in cash flow per year, approximately. It is. It's just you know I just love their CFO. I had to go through a number here. 123 billion dollars of cash a year. That's a big number. Is it the world's most valuable company? It is. Yeah, it is, and it's deservedly so. Just it's not even that expensive on a. You know, earnings basis or cash flow basis. And as I was going to say, Luca, their CFO, I love him because when you get onto earnings calls, you're looking at these ridiculous numbers. And it goes, yes, we had a good quarter. We generated $28 billion in cash flow from operations. And, you know, you look at the rest of my coverage universe, and that's what they might do combined in a year. And Apple does it in a quarter, you know, with their eyes closed. So, yeah, it's, it's, it prints money. They got a lot to reinvest. They're returning a lot to shareholders. So, you know, if you're looking for a larger cap, stock to hide out in in this market. You know, Apple certainly at the top of the list and I think well, top of the fan group. If you look at the performance of it, really, it has not given back that much. Stock was 180, it's now 155. Considering uh, what's gone, Zoom video, anybody, 600 to 80? Uh, and if that's a long list. Uh, Pinterest, Teladoc, all been annihilated. Uh, not Apple, uh, holding in like a champion. That could be the kiss of death. Hope not, but I'm capable of doing that as well, Mike. You know I'm talking about the old contrarian call from the Wolfman. <laughs> You're laughing, so is Jack. <laughs> Friends, that's it for the show. Hi-Fi Radio, Mike Walkley. I cannot thank you enough, you Managing Director and Senior Equity Analyst of a Exceptional Kind. Jack Hartle, producer of this show, lines up the guests so, so eloquently. Thank you very much for that work, my partner. Friends, be safe. Enjoy your long weekend. Don't drink and drive. Be good. Stay out of trouble. And save your money. Invest it and watch it grow for decades. There is no other way. Have a good one. 
You've been listening to Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hardell, Portfolio Managers at Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management. For questions about today's show or any questions about money, email Wolf and Jack at WolfgangKlein.com. Hi-Fi Radio, for the love of money. Join us again next week. The preceding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment.